Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm uh, one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. I just want to thank Kurt for really setting a spiritual tone for us this morning by asking you which professional wrestler you'd like to be. So we're off to a, sol- a solid start with that in mind. Uh, Kurt's right. We're actually kicking off a new series today called uh, Wrestling God and what uh, that really looks like for each of us at the surface that can seem like a negative thing to wrestle with God and to, to sort of, you know, be in the ring with God. But what we're going to see over the course of this month is that we really believe uh, that is actually what God is inviting us into, is a dynamic relationship with him where we wrestle out and work out our faith and our relationship with him. And so for the month of June, that's really, we, we kind of teach in months here, like a series. And so we'll focus on one specific thing for about a month or so. I'll run out of stuff to say, and then we'll go on to the next one. So it's really good that you're here this weekend because you're starting with us at the beginning of a new series. And over the course of this month, we are looking at one family specifically in the Old Testament, a family central to the story of God, whose names might be familiar to you, but the details of their story you may not know. And in fact, the threads of their story that not only repeat through each generation, but still repeat in our stories today are actually quite fascinating. And I think have a lot to inform us about how we wrestle with God, how we have a relationship with God. So we're going to be looking at the stories of Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. Those three generations we're going to kind of track with for the next couple weeks. We're going to be camping out in this section of the Bible uh, for a while. And specifically this morning, we're going to focus in on the life of Abraham, this central character uh, to the story of God, the story of the Bible. And uh, we're going to be wrestling specifically with two questions that he wrestled with that I want to give to you on the front end as sort of maybe a lens or a filter to look at this story through maybe a little bit differently and hopefully to look at your life a little bit differently. These questions, I think, are important for anyone who's sincere in any way about having a relationship with God. So if you're someone who'd say, that's me, I've signed up, I'm in, I'm in a relationship with God, my hunch is you've had to wrestle with these questions, or you will very soon. If you're someone who'd say, you know, I'm not sure yet, I'm kind of spiritually seeking, I'm feeling this whole thing out, I heard if I came here, I got a free cup of coffee, so that I'm here, that's great. This is very helpful stuff for you, I believe, because it's going to let you in on really what, it, what does it mean to have a relationship with God. And I think at some point it boils down to you asking these two questions, wrestling with these two questions. First one is this, do I believe God has good things for my life? Do I believe that God has good things for my life? Now, I know what you're thinking. Like the easy church answer is like, uh, yes. Is that, what, is that what I'm supposed to say? Of course, Yes. But just press in a little bit deeper. Do you really, really believe that God is good and that he has good things for your life? When you press through and push in and dive in a little bit deeper past your circumstances, do you really believe that he's good and that he has good things for your life? The answer to this question honestly determines the type of relationship you will have with God. Do I believe that he is good and he has good things for my life? So if you can get through that question and go, you know what? Yes, I honestly, I think God is good. I think he has good things for my life. Very important follow-up question to that question. And we're going to see how Abraham wrestles with this today. Do I trust that God will do them in my lifetime? That's, that's the real question. Do I believe that God is good and has good things? Sure, I believe that. Okay, do you really think it's going to happen in your lifetime? 
And I want you to think about maybe some of the prayers, some of the hopes, some of the things you've been holding out for in your life. Do you believe that God is not only good, but he will do the things he has promised that he would do in your lifetime, that you will actually see the fulfillment and the fruit of God's promises in your life? So we're going to look at those two questions, and specifically through the life and lens of character that is central to the Old Testament. His name is Abraham. And we're going to be camping out in the book of Genesis, starting specifically with Genesis chapter 12. And so here's the deal. I would ask that if you brought a Bible with you, you have it on your phone, open Genesis 12 right now. If you don't, we've got you covered. In your seat back is a blue Bible that you can actually pull out right now, a blue Bible that is, honestly, here's the deal. If you are serious about exploring a relationship with God and what that means, and you don't own a Bible, Here's a great thing. This Bible that you're now holding your hand is yours. You can literally steal a Bible from church today, and it's a good thing. All right, so I'd encourage you to do that. If you don't own a Bible, grab this. Grab a pen, too. We're going to be making notes and taking notes. It's okay to write in your Bible. In fact, we say this all the time. Please write in the blue Bibles, because what you're going to do is someday someone's going to steal this Bible, and you're giving them a head start. So write down, circle things. We're going to walk through this together. In the blue Bible, it's on page 8. So we're all the way over to the left. So I think we can all find this page 8, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at this character, Abraham. In, throughout the course of the story, we're going to look at over there our time this morning. His name begins as Abram, and God changes it to Abraham. It doesn't seem like a huge difference. It's like going from Tom to Tommy. But the, the difference actually is very important because the names actually mean two different things. At the beginning of the story, his name is Abram. And that name translates literally to the high or exalted father. So his name in the beginning of the story means high or exalted father. Now, this is very interesting because in his name alone, Abram, you already see the seeds of God's promise that's about to come through in his life. So his name is high and exalted father. Again, kind of makes sense for the Bible, but you're 10 years old and your name means high and exalted father. You're probably going to get beat up after school. So it's not like the easiest nickname to have. So he's Abram. God changes it, though, to Abraham, which means father of many. Father of many. We're going to see how that is a promise that God holds true to in his life. Now, at this time in the Bible, there's not a ton of interaction with God. Sin had ruined everything. So you have creation, you have Adam and Eve. Sin enters into the story, and it separates us from the intimacy that they had with God. And so you have things like Noah and the flood, where God kind of resets humanity because things have gotten so bad. And Abram comes along about nine generations after Noah and the ark. And that's where our story really begins today. This is Genesis 12, verse 1. God doesn't talk to a lot of people, but for some reason God is talking to Abram right now. The Lord said to Abram, Abram, go from your country, where he was at, your people, and your father's household, to the land I will show you. And I will make you into, now listen to this, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So let's keep our finger there, keep it up on the screen. What is God saying here? What is he saying? Well, he's making a covenant with Abraham. He's making a deal sort of with Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, here's the thing. I want you to trust me. I want you to leave the context of your comfort. You've built a nice little life for yourself here. I have an adventure for you, an adventure of faith. But you're going to need to leave the context of your comfort to follow me into this new land, this new way. And so, Abram, that's what you're going to do. Are you willing to trust me and leave all of this? And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you beyond belief. I'm going to literally cause a nation to come from you. 
And your name will be talked about thousands and thousands of years later, even in the West Loop of Chicago. You are going to be great because I am going to write a great story through your life. God is making a covenant, a promise to Abraham early on. You have to imagine Abraham going in. He has this moment with God where he literally talks to God. Not a lot of people in the Bible had done this at that point. And so he talks to God and comes back to his wife, Sarah, and says, Sarah, you're not going to believe it. I've spoken to the Lord. And, you know, she's like, really? He's like, no, I really have. And God's inviting us to leave this land. And he's telling us to pack up all our stuff and to move. And she's like, really, where? He's like, there. I don't know. There. He'll tell us when we get there. But we're going to go there. And guess what? God's going to make a nation come out of your womb. And she's like, hold up. Wait a minute. Why didn't God talk to me first? So he and Sarah kind of work it out, and they begin this faith adventure where God promises them early on, you're going to be a blessing to the entire world, to the entire world. Now, Abraham, at the time of this promise, is 75 years old. And at 75, he and Sarah had no children at that point. They still had no children. So again, God clearly had some details to work out for them. And then, after Abraham gets excited, Sarah, they pack up all their things. They move into this new land that God is providing for them. Many years pass. In fact, 25 years pass. And can you imagine if you're Abraham and you've packed everything up, moved your wife, your family, everything you have to this new land, and seemingly nothing is happening. And he's looking around and going, okay, God, nation time. <laughs> what? What? You promised me, you told me, but we're just kind of here watching the sheep. What's, what's going on? And it was very easy for Abraham in that moment to let his circumstances determine his perception of the character of God. He looked around his life and said, God, it's not, this isn't what I thought it was supposed to be like. You made me a promise. We made a deal. We made a covenant. But I don't see it like you promised it. And so Abraham was allowing the circumstances of his life to determine the character of God. Have you ever done that before? Where you've looked around and said, okay, really, still no job. Still not married. In the case of Abraham, Sarah, still no children. So God, either I didn't hear you or you're not good. And I'm not going to see your promises fulfilled in my lifetime. This is where Abraham is at when we see God come back to him again in Genesis 15. Why don't you turn to Genesis 15? In the Blue Bibles, just turn to page 9. Just one more page over. Genesis 15. Abraham's doubting the character of God based on his circumstances. And God calls him, literally takes him on a walk. God, come, all right, come here with me. Come on, come on. God takes him outside and says, now look up to the sky. And count the stars. Now, I'm not saying that God put an ounce of sarcasm into the next sentence, but it plays really well that way, if you can even count them. All right, so he says, look, I've been counting the stars, if indeed you can even count them. And the fact is this, he couldn't possibly count them. In fact, today, with all the incredible technology and tools that we have at our disposal, do you know that we still discover new galaxies on a yearly basis? So God's saying, you couldn't even possibly fathom the greatness of my promise to you but you're missing it. Look up, see. This is what your offspring will be. It will be this great. Now look what Abraham does, Genesis 15, 6. Abram, what's the word? Abram believed. Very important that you circle that. 
He believed the Lord. He believed God. And he, God credited it to him as righteousness. Because he believed. And this is very, 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 very interesting. Because it, it, it's sort of one thing to say that Abram believed in God. I mean, he had had a conversation with God. God had made him a promise, a covenant. So he could easily say, yes, I believe in God. But it's a very, 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 very different thing from believing in God to believing God. There's a lot of room in between. Big difference between believing in God and believing God. Let me show you what I mean. Do you know 90%, 90% of Americans say that they believe in God in one form or another? Just a quick silent poll. Do you think 90% of Americans actually believe God and trust and follow him? Probably not. It's a big gap between believing in. Believing in God is sort of a conscious decision, not in your head, and putting your faith, saying, I believe in the reality. Yes, I, I don't think we're here all alone. I believe in you. That's a faith decision. My head is saying, I believe in you. Believing God is actually a heart decision that has a lot more to do with trust than it does faith. Now, it's personal. I can believe in the concept of God. And maybe you're here this morning saying, you know what? Yeah, I mean, that's why you're here at church. I, I can get on board with an omniscient creator God. Very different, though, when you move to believing God because now you say, we have a relationship and I trust you. And that's what's going on here with Abram. He believed, he trusted the Lord. Believing in God is a great place to start, a very important place to start. Believing God is where you go from there. And that's what invites us into the faith adventure of our life. So Abram and God have their, have their little pep talk under the stars. And Abraham's back on track, not just believing in God, but really actually believing him. Okay, God, I trust you. You said it. I believe it. I trust you. But then many, many, many more years pass. And still seemingly nothing. In fact, Abram is a hundred years old at this point. And he's going, God, you promised me. You promised me. You told me. Do you remember, God? You told me. God, you reminded me. You reminded me. But God, I am not seeing it. My circumstances are not telling me that you are moving in this direction. And so what happened, he did what so many of us do. Abraham and Sarah decided to take the, God's promises out of his hands and handle it themselves. God, we're going to take this promise that you gave us out of your hands and your term and your timing, and we're going to handle it ourselves. We'll take care of it, God, for you. And what they decided to do was preempt the promises of God with their own plans. They're going to preempt the promises of God with their own plans, and this is how they do it. Sarah realizes she's not getting any younger, literally. Like, it's just not happening. And so she says, okay, here's the deal. You, like, if we're going to have a nation, you got to start with someone, you got to start somewhere. And so she gets her actual servant girl and brings the servant girl to Abraham and says, listen, here's the plan. You sleep with her and that'll give us a son. And oddly enough, the Bible does not record Abraham arguing or disagreeing or putting his foot down at all. I'm not making any commentary. I'm just saying, you looked at Sarah, he looked at the 25. I'm just saying. So, So that's what they do. They preempt God's promises with their own plan. And it doesn't go well for them. It doesn't end up going well for them. Have you ever done that before? 
had maybe a promise or a vision or a thing, a direction for your life that you really feel like God had given you, but it, it wasn't happening like you wanted it to. It wasn't happening on your terms or your timeline. Have you ever preempted the promises of God with your own plans? Have you, have you, ever, uh, you ever tried to sort of preempt God's promise to supply every one of your needs by buying your way into happiness and contentment? I know none of you have, but have you ever met anyone that's ever done that? You know what, if I just had this, if, I just, if we just got the bigger place, that would do it. I know God promised that he'll take care of everyone, every one of my needs, but I'm going to help. I'm going to give him a little push. And so we're going to get this place, or I need to get this car. You know what, we're going to get the boat. We don't really need the boat. We're only going to use it, apparently, in Chicago two months out of the year. But we're going to get the boat, and we're going to do the boat. I'm going to get the outfit. I'm going to get the wardrobe, because I'm going to preempt God's promise of providing for me with my own plans for my own pleasure. Ever done that? Ever sort of pushed the boundaries of integrity at work to get the deal done, all to get the deal done, all to make sure that the numbers happen at the end of the month, all to make sure that you can make payroll. So it's all kind of wrapped in this good thing, but you push the boundaries. In fact, maybe even broke your own integrity. And you preempted God's promise to lead you with your own plans to take care of yourself. You ever done that? You ever in a relationship put your purity on pause because you wanted something and you knew God had promised you a great life, a healthy life, a wonderful life, but you didn't want to wait for that. You wanted it now. And so you preempted God's promise for your purity and you put it on pause for your own plans. You ever done that? See, we're not all that unlike Abraham and Sarah. They looked at their circumstances. They didn't think God was capable of getting the job done. And so they took care of it themselves and it didn't end well. And you know what, if we're being honest, it never does for us either, does it? It never does for us either. And so that's what happens. They get off course, things go a little sideways, it does not work out like they thought, and now they've even lost more faith. Now, Because now they've sort of preempted God's promise and it didn't work out, and so now they're left with less than they had before. And so God sends three angels to them to, to encourage them, to remind them of God's faithfulness and what he had promised. So let's jump to Genesis 18 on page 11 in the Blue Bibles. Genesis 18, verse 11. Let's follow and see what happens here and what specifically had happened to their hearts over the course of this time. It says that Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And these angels had come to her and said, listen, when we come back in a year from now, you're going to have a son. They literally told Abraham right in front of Sarah, when we come back in a year from now, you'll have a son. Now, Sarah heard that and look at her response to three angels. Hello? Angels who appeared to her, okay? Angels are in her presence and they say, you're going, God will fulfill his promise. Look at her response. So Sarah, what? Sarah laughed to herself, laughed to herself and thought, after I am worn out, great choice of words, after I am worn out, 
I am old. I am beat up. It has not happened. Like, I th- really, I'm going to have a child now? And my Lord, referring to Abraham, he's also old. Will I now have this pleasure? Are you kidding me? You're telling me now, after all of this, after even me trying to preempt God's promise with my own plan, that it's actually going to happen? And you know what we see in Sarah's story that maybe you've seen in your own life or a friend's life? What is amazing is in this moment where she's literally in the presence of God's angels right in front of her, All she can see is her circumstances, and she is subtly sabotaged by her own cynicism. It's amazing the power that cynicism can have in our lives and how it can sabotage your story. It happens all the time. When things don't go on your timeline according to your terms, you begin to question the character of God based on your circumstances, and cynicism is right at the door. And it comes in little laughs to yourself. It comes when you go to another roommate's wedding and it's not yours. And you're smiling on the outside, but you're hurting. And there's a laugh like, yep, one more wedding. Or another one of your friends gets pregnant. And you can't, and you don't understand why. And that's real pain that really hurts. But cynicism is right at the door to come in and sabotage your story and say, see, see, God can't be trusted. Your circumstances make it so clear. Cynicism had literally sabotaged Sarah's story. And so God has a word with Abraham about it. Genesis 18, 14. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah just laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? And look at this next sentence. And I want you to circle this in our line. And I believe, honestly, this may be the entire reason that you came here this morning, or while you're watching online right now, look at what God says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hey, I get it. You're old, worn out in your own words. I get it. It hasn't happened like you thought it would when you thought it would. I understand. I'm working a bigger story here, a bigger story that's bigger than you and better for you than anything you could preempt on your own. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Listen, Abraham, Sarah, I know you think it's impossible for you to get pregnant at your age. Guess what? I invented pregnancy. It was my idea. I invented people. So I can do anything. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But I've been out of work for a year now. It's been so hard. It's never going to happen. I go to interview after interview. It's just not going to happen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, here I get one more time. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. I've made it, all these bad financial decisions. I don't know how I can. This, this is just my lot in life. Really? Is that too hard for the Lord? That he cannot walk you through those choices that you've made into a place of peace financially. Well, you don't understand. I've made such a mess of my life. And I've burnt so many bridges. And I've destroyed so many relationships. And I've hurt so many people. God cannot love someone like me. Really? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that you think you and I could have done in our lives that can exclude or exempt us from God's power and love in our lives? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Certainly not anything that would stand in the way of his promises. And so we see what begins to happen in the life of Abraham and Sarah. God says it is going to happen It will happen. And after decades and decades and decades of waiting, what I love actually, what I've learned to love about the heart of God is he says, it's going to happen. 
in a year. <laughs> now that can seem cruel on the surface, can it? Seriously, God, we've waited decades and decades and decades for your promise. You're going to make us wait another year? Then why would God do that? It's because I think, honestly, God knows our hearts and our agendas better than we do. And he knows that waiting is oftentimes the most fertile soil for our growth. And that there are times that the soil is hard. And cynicism has caked everything on top. And God wants to break through, break through, so that his promise can come from much, much, such a deeper place in your life. And so after all this waiting, God goes, wait just a little bit longer. Let me do this in my time, my way. And that's what happens. You can jump to Genesis 21. It's page 13 in the Blue Bible. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Look what it says here. The Lord was gracious, that's the word, gracious. Not obliged her demands. Not held up his end of the con. The Lord was gracious and good to Sarah. As he had said. This is what he said at the very beginning. And the Lord did for Sarah what he, what's the word? What he had promised. God is always faithful to his promises. Always, always, always. Maybe not in your time. Maybe not by my terms. Always faithful. Genesis 21, verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Now look at this next phrase and please circle it and pay attention to it. At the very time. At the very time. In other words, in God's time. At the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. We're going to look at Isaac more next week. It's a fascinating story of faith, of wrestling with God, set over decades of time. For you and me, it's a couple lines and a couple turns of the pages. But you know for the things that you've had to hold out for and wait for God, it's not that short or brief, is it? Certainly not that easy. This is decades and decades and decades of wrestling with God. Are you good? Do you have good things for me? Is it going to happen in my lifetime? Am I going to actually see your promises fulfilled in my lifetime? And what we see in the life of Abraham is that he does. And what he could not see at the time is out of his lineage, out of his line, out of his family, would literally, God would meander a little creek that would make its way into a mighty river called Jesus. That out of this one birth would become the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, for whom all people would be blessed by his life, death, and resurrection. God's promise was fulfilled, not just in the birth of Isaac, but in the bigger place plan that God was unfolding for our lives, not just for Abraham's life. And in recounting on the life of Abraham, the writer of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, cites Abraham as a hero of faith. It says that Abraham stands out as an example for anyone who wants to follow God, a hero of faith. And I think when you can read a story like this, or the stories we're going to look at for the next couple weeks, you see these characters in the Bible, we can do sort of the same thing. We can just sort of go, yeah, they, they were sort of born with mutant faith powers and like they are heroes because they came to the scene with all of this stuff already in them. But is that the story that we just read from the Bible? Is Abraham this tower of faith every turn along the way? No, he's more like you and I than we might even recognize at first pass. What makes Abraham a hero of faith is that he never quit. 
It's not that he showed up to the scene to wrestle God full of all kinds of faith and power. No, it's that he showed up just like you and me and said at the end of the day, I don't know, God, I can't see it, God. It's been another day. It's been another month. It's been another year. It's been another decade, but I am going to choose to believe you, to trust you, that you are good and that your promise will be fulfilled in my lifetime. I will see it come to pass. And so I'm not going to give up. And he threw the towel in for a couple days, for a couple months, for even a couple years, but he walked back in the ring and grabbed it, wiped the sweat off his brow and said, let's do this, God. I'm going to wrestle this out with you. I'm not going to walk away with you, but my faith will literally be born and grown, not in an instant, not when I show up to the scene, but real faith will be born in real time. And that's what we see in the life of Abraham, is that real faith grows in real time. And we live in a, a microwave culture where we expect everything instantly. And we expect God to answer our prayers and to tell us his promises and to give us our direction, to have it all done, preferably by the end of the day, if at all possible, God. If you can do that, that would be great. I'll give you till the end of the week, but seriously, time is money here. We live in a culture where we have access to so much more than anyone has ever had access to in history. And faith doesn't happen that way, friends. It is grown day in, day out, real time, wrestling with God. And you may have shown up here this morning, having thrown in the towel and said, I, you know what? I don't know. I can't see it. I don't know. I don't know if it's even, if God can even do in my life what I had hoped or imagined or, or I thought I heard him promise me. And I want to encourage you this morning to pick up the towel and get back in the game of wrestling this out, of working this out with God. That like Abraham, your faith would be grown in real time with you not quitting or giving up, but saying, God, I choose one more day to trust that you are still good, that your promises are true. And I'm telling you, friends, this is not like stuff just for folks in the Bible. This is for every single one of us. This is for every single one of us. This is for me in the middle of my life right now. Listen, I'm in the middle of a relationship right now. I'm in the middle of a relationship right now that is in a tough spot, in a really tough spot. And I'm looking at this relationship going, I've known this guy for years and years and years and years and years, years. And for some reason, our relationship has hit a wall. Hard. I'm just being honest with you. It's hit a wall. And I'm looking at this going, okay, God, do I believe, do I believe that you can actually restore this relationship? Do I believe, God, do I trust that you are good and you've actually made a promise to us years and years and years ago for this relationship, God, this friendship? Do I believe that you are still good and that you still have actually the power to restore and rebuild and renew a relationship? And I have to go, God, do I trust today? Do I choose today? Because my circumstances say, throw in the towel. My circumstances say that we've said things to each other and things kind of hit a wall and we've drifted and it just is how it is. That's how it's going to be. But what God is inviting me into is just saying, okay, one more day, will you choose to wrestle this out with me that I am actually good And I am the one who can renew and restore and rebuild relationships. I don't know what 
ring God is inviting you into to wrestle with him. But I would challenge you to pick up a towel and step in. That your faith can actually be built today. You're not, you say to yourself, I'm not a hero of faith. I don't, I can't, I'm not like Abraham. I'm not even like the person sitting next to me. I don't have enough faith to sort of do these things. You have enough faith to say today, God, I choose to trust you. You actually do. You can make that choice today. And so as I was preparing and, and, and thinking through our time this weekend, I thought, you know, the reality is for me and maybe for you as well, that oftentimes I lose sight of God's goodness. And I let my circumstances be the determinant of his character. And I need to be reminded, and maybe you do too this morning, of how good God is and how solid his promises are to you. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up right now. And what I want to do for the next few moments is to read for you, but I think, honestly, to pray over you promises of God for your life. Some of these promises are almost as old as Abraham. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, God made these promises, and here's the thing. They still hold today, and they're actually for you today. And you may have lost sight. You may feel like it's time to just throw in the towel and quit, but I want to encourage you. I want to remind you. I want to show you the goodness of God and that his promises are possible, that you can actually see them in your lifetime. So I don't know if there's anyone here this morning and and you're looking at your life and you're not sure how ends are going to meet. Like you're looking at financially what's coming in and then all that has to go out and you're just going, God, God, I I know that you like created the universe, but I don't know if you understand economics. I can't make this happen. (laughs) I can't make this happen. And what's happened is you've looked at your budget, you've looked at your finances and you've let that determine your belief about the character and the goodness of God. Let me remind you of something from God's word, a promise for you today. It says this in Philippians 4.19, God will meet all your needs. God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He can and he will. So don't preempt his promise with your own plans. Maybe you're concerned about what step to take next in your life. You, you're unclear about what's to come. And maybe you've sort of come out of a relationship or come out of a career and you're not sure which step to take next. You don't know which way to go. Let me speak a promise of God into your life and over your life right now. You may be familiar with it. It comes from Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, for I, says the Lord, I, not you, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans That means that there is a God who is good, who is actually for you. He's for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they're plans for welfare, for good, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You may not see it right in front of you, but God does. Will you trust his goodness in this promise today? Maybe you look at your life now and are discouraged because through whatever series of decisions or circumstances or whatever it may be, your life did not turn out like you hoped or thought it would or should have at this point. And you feel shame and you feel guilt and you feel frustration and you are seeing cynicism begin to creep into your story as well. I want you to hear this word of hope and this promise from God that comes from Isaiah 41.10 this morning. It says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. 
for I am your God. Now listen to his promise. I will strengthen you and help you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the God of the universe who's not only for you, he's with you in the midst of your life right now, saying he will hold you up, he will lift you up, even when you're discouraged. Maybe you're feeling like you're all on your own and you've been sort of left behind by life and this is just your lot in life. Promise from God comes from Deuteronomy 31.6, says this, be strong and courageous. In other words, do not wallow in this place. Do not stay stuck in this valley. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of everything going on around you. For the Lord, your God, goes with you and he will never, he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by all of it. Life, circumstances, pressure, whatever it is, you're feeling overwhelmed. Jesus has a promise for you this morning. It's for every single person who decides to put their trust in him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, come to me. Not all your little escape mechanisms, not all the little ways that you've learned to cope with the complexity of life. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And the promise is, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my way upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And listen to this. You will find rest for your soul, for your soul, which so desperately may need the calming peace and presence of Jesus this morning. Maybe you're feeling tempted to go back to an unhealthy relationship and you know where that path will lead. Or you're being drawn back into, tempted by a destructive pattern or habit, addiction in your life. You know what it is because you've spent most of your life trying to manage it. And maybe you just feel like it's just too powerful for you. You can't, you can't beat it. You can't get around it. This is just what it is. Listen to this promise that comes from God in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to everyone. So you are not the only one. Everyone faces this kind of temptation. And God is faithful. Listen to the promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That means that God is not only for you, he believes in you. That you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear, that you actually can make this through by his power and grace. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So you can walk through this tempting trial. Or maybe you look at your life and say, you know what, I've already made a a mess of my life. And I have done it throughout the last couple years, the last couple weeks. And you've been carrying with you the weight of regret and unforgiven sin for far too long. And it's weighing your life down. This promise comes to you from 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he being God is faithful and just and will forgive us. He will forgive you of your sins. He will. If we confess, he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means you don't, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to carry that burden any longer. 
You don't have to be defined by your shame and sin and regret any longer. See, God has made you a promise that you can come to him today. And that's exactly what we want to do these next few moments. We want to come to him with all of our different complexities and circumstances and all the ways that we wonder if God is actually good and if we'll see his promises fulfilled in our life, we want to actually come back to him this morning. And we're going to do that by coming to the communion table. See, because what's interesting about every single one of the promises of God is that every one of them is signed by the blood of Jesus, securing once and for all the goodness of God made available to every single person because of him. And he gathered his disciples, his followers together just hours before he'd be arrested and then falsely tried and then go to the cross and the tomb that we celebrated Easter. He gathered them together and he said, listen, you're familiar with the old promise, the old covenant, which we just walked through with Abraham. You're familiar with the old way of sort of relating to God. Jesus says, I am the new promise. I am the new covenant. I am the way to God. And here's how. He took bread and he broke. He said, this bread, let it be a reminder to you. This is my body. You need to be reminded that God actually came into your story, into your circumstances. He came physically and his body was broken and made available for you. And then he took wine and he poured it out. And he said, this wine is like the, the covenant. This is the new covenant. This is how the deal is done. It's through my blood. It's the only perfect and pure blood to ever flow through human veins. And it's the only thing that can actually pay the price of your sin once and for all. And he poured it out. And he said, let this be a reminder to you that there is a new deal. That God has made a promise that will never be broken and is waiting to be fulfilled in your life. That is relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we want to come to the table and be reminded of his goodness made known to us once and for all through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So over the next song or so, we're gonna, we have stations set up where you can come and receive communion. We've got a bunch here in the front. We've got some in the back. We always say this. I feel like it's worth saying on the left side over here, we have gluten-free bread. So we don't want like, anyone to be excluded from the table. So if that's you, head right over here because we want to take care of that for you. The reason we come is because we need to come. We need to be reminded. And I want to encourage you and challenge you as you come to the table this morning to maybe come with just where you're at. God, I've lost sight of your promises. I have doubted your goodness. I have let my circumstances be the determinant of your character, God. And so I'm confessing that to you. I'm literally trading that in at the table for your life, for the new covenant with you. I hope you are reminded and encouraged and challenged and transformed by the goodness of God made available to you this morning through the body and the blood of Jesus. So let me pray for us and you can receive that and we'll worship God together. Let's pray. God, thank you that your promises are always good and always better than our plans. Help us to have the faith to go at it one more day with you, to wrestle with you, to hold you to your promises, God, which you are already going to keep, but we need to be reminded of your goodness, God. We forget, we lose sight. And so I pray that as we come to receive these elements, the body and the blood, the gift of life through Jesus' death, that we would be able to bring all of our failures and all of our 
fears and all of our fumbling to you and trade it in for the promise of life that you have for us. And God, I pray that we would be not only reminded but encouraged this morning that, that you have never stopped being good. You have never, God, once broken any one of your promises. That your promises are fulfilled for us and even at times, God, you fulfill them through us to be a blessing to others. Thank you, God, that your promise was bigger than just a son to Abraham and it's bigger than just our circumstances to us today, God. Help us to get a bigger picture of what you're doing. This morning, we pray in your name. Amen.